Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Yukon Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Daniel Connolly of the Yukon Hockey Blog. He also covers the Yukon women's basketball team as well. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dan. And uh, before we get started in everything, just introduce yourself for people who might not know who you are and just uh, where they can find your work. Sure. I am Daniel Connolly. I am a UConn men's hockey and women's basketball beat writer for the UConn blog. We also run the UConn Hockey Hub for some premium coverage. This is, I believe it's my fourth season covering the team because I think my first year covering them was when the current seniors were freshmen. So that's insane in my own brain. Um, yeah, you can find me on those places. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel B. Connolly. Um, and yeah. I think that pretty much sums up me. I'm not very interesting. Yeah. Well, follow Daniel on Twitter because that's how I get all my UConn hockey information. Great follow. And I'm a big UConn women's basketball fan as well. So it's fun seeing content that you post on that. So, and you're the, so Daniel is the second ever guest to be on the UConn hockey podcast, joining Artem Schlein. So pretty good guest list for that. I mean, naturally um, you got to get one of the Russians on first. I understand being number two to that one. Okay. I can live with that. But he's the second guest on, so I just want to say thank you to him for being the second guest on. And since UConn men's hockey team hasn't played in a while, we're going to just kind of recap the first half of the season. But before we get to the kind of what's been going on with the team, I just have to want to get to know you a little bit more. So are you, did you go to UConn? And if you did, how did you get involved with, like, the hockey team and just what's your background with the school? Sure. So I graduated from UConn in 2020, picked a great year to graduate, thoroughly enjoyed how my college career ended. I wanted to go to UConn my entire life growing up. I grew up in Glastonbury, still live here in Glastonbury, right outside of Hartford. So my parents, well, actually it started with my grandmother got season tickets to UConn men's basketball, maybe women's basketball too. I'm not as positive on that. When they joined the Big East back in the 80s or the 70s, it was around that time. I don't know the exact timeline. So my entire life, I was going to UConn men's basketball games, handful of football games here and there, handful of women's basketball games here and there, but it was men's basketball for the most part. Loved the team. My entire life, I wanted to go to UConn. I started getting into high school, looking at schools, and it was basically, okay, here's UConn, and here's a bunch of other schools that I need to just have on my list in case I don't get into UConn. And it was right on the edge. My, going into my junior year, my GPA, I think was somewhere in like the three threes and to get to safety, it needed to be like above three, five. So then naturally my first day of soccer tryouts, I played soccer in high school. My first day of soccer tryouts, my junior year, I got a concussion that knocked me out for the entire season. I don't think I get cleared on it until December, January, and it happened in August. So despite that managed to get my GPA up to a spot that was good for UConn, got in, Took some time just to make sure it was the right decision. It was the right decision. And then, yeah, I went to UConn four years there. Absolutely loved it. Everyone says college are the best four years of your life, but it was a dream for me going to UConn. Every day I would walk around campus and try and remind myself like, okay, 10-year-old me would be absolutely thrilled about what's currently happening. I just loved every moment I was at UConn, even when I wasn't loving it. And along the way, it was actually my junior year of high school. Uh, my now boss, Aman Kidwai, who's the manager of the UConn blog, just shot me a message on Twitter. I was just some anonymous account at the time tweeting my mind about UConn men's basketball matters. And he messaged me asking if I wanted to write for the UConn blog. And I had always been interested in sports writing, had kind of gotten some experience at 
you know, one of those WordPress websites, the millions that exist out there. And it just built from there and it went from covering, what was it? It was like baseball. I think the first year I was there, then it moved on to football recruiting. And then I think it was my senior year, January 6th is the date. I still remember it. I covered my first UConn women's basketball game, covered the team mostly remotely throughout the rest of that season as they won the national championship, Brianna Stewart's senior year. And then once I got to UConn, I took on obviously the main beat writer role for the blog. And we also had another writer that was two years older than me also went to UConn. He was our hockey writer. He was from outside of Boston. He was a hockey fan. He knew hockey in and out. Made sense for him to be the hockey writer. That's fine. Conflicting seasons with women's basketball. I had no problem with it. Then he graduates. We needed men's hockey coverage, obviously. So we were just going to do a blog effort, try and find a writer in a year or two. And then it ended up just happening that I was the one going to all the games and I was the one writing all the stories. And then I was the one that suddenly started getting the connections in the program. And it just built and built from there. And now here we are. I think it's three years later. Yeah, three years later since the 2018-19 season. And here we are. Yeah, I feel like you've kind of developed with the freshman class to now they're being <laughs> yeah. seniors because they're a huge core of the team. So that's kind of cool how you got started with that freshman class and now seeing where they are today. It's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I, I did the same thing when I was on the women's basketball beat. Katie Lou Samuelson and Nafisa Kali were freshmen my first year mm-hmm. covering the team. And when they graduated, it was so weird. And then I think we just got to a point. Yeah, well, when they graduated, it was the first time that there was an entire team of players that were completely new since I had covered the team. It is, oh, no, no, sorry. It was the Crystal Dangerfield class was the first class that I had covered start to finish from their, the beginning of their UConn careers to the end. So yeah, it, it all comes for full circle. I still don't feel like I've covered an entire class completely from like covering their recruitment to them committing to then watching them throughout their entire careers. I think if I have it right, that would probably be the sophomores currently. I think that was, no, yeah, yeah. The sophomores currently is when I really started getting a little more involved with the recruiting. So those are the guys that I felt like I really have a good grip on. I've seen where they've come, what their expectations were coming into UConn, what they've done at UConn, how they're going to end their UConn careers. Whereas the current seniors, I knew they were the number two class in the country, according to neutral zone, but I really didn't know much about any of the players. I just knew that they had one Russian kid that was supposed to be really good. And ironically, he's not even with the program anymore being Ruslan Asakov. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it it has been fun to watch the progression. And it's just been a really interesting part of the program to watch because they hit the reset button that first year and they were terrible. They went, I think it was like two months without winning a hockey East game. They lost like 11 straight or they were winless in 11 straight at one point. It was brutal, brutal. And then the year after that, they were better, and then COVID ends the season. And then last year, great team. COVID obviously played a big part in that season. And then this year is supposed to be the crowning moment for the senior class. So it has been a very fun journey watching them come along. Oh, yeah. Ruslan Asakov, probably the best hands I've ever seen in college hockey. Like, I would watch him in warm-ups, and it was just crazy to see, like, the talent that he had. And I was very surprised, actually, when he left after his sophomore year. I thought he was going to stay one more year but still one of my favorite UConn hockey players to watch. And it was cool just because me and him are both like 5'9", so it's cool to see that he's my height uh, dominate hockey's. 
Yeah, he was unreal. I, I mean, that was when he started, I didn't really have a great grasp on hockey. So I'm like, wow, this kid's hands are amazing. And then I like see an NHL highlight and it's like, okay, Ruslan's better than that guy. So like, I didn't have a great grasp. I do have a very funny Ruslan story quickly. So the year going in, I had talked with Cav over the summer about Ruslan and how excited they were and how he was such this huge commitment. But I really didn't know a whole lot about him. So one day I'm in the dining hall at UConn it's called Putnam. It's where a lot of the athletes live right in that area. They put a lot of the freshman athletes in the dorms right there. And I'm walking up behind this kid with a hockey bag and it's 34. And I don't know the team well enough to know the guy's numbers. And he's tiny. Like he's smaller than me. He's skinnier than me where he was skinnier than junior year me, which is a very low bar to be reaching. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Is he like the walk-on that they brought on? I'm like, all right, well I had, like a food tray in my hand. So I couldn't look up the roster immediately. So I got to the table, put it down. I looked it up and it was Ruslan. I'm like, the kid that I've heard nonstop about <laughs> that's going to come in and change the program is smaller than me. Looks like I could throw him off the stairs <laughs> and it looks like a seventh grader. Yeah. So I was stunned by how small he was. And the first time I saw him play, it was like, Oh, okay. My opinion has changed here. Yeah. Well, he got that huge check against Quinnipiac, which was oh, one of yeah. the scariest moments ever. He got like, I think yeah. he got knocked out from that. But it was kind of cool to see how he kind of used that moment to bounce back. And mm-hmm. I was surprised how bounce, quickly he bounced back from that because he played like, I think he only missed like a couple of games and then was right back at it. Right. It took him some time to get back playing though, because mm-hmm. he, he wasn't a huge factor. I remember talking with someone and with the program and they were like, yeah, he's just not really playing like himself yet. He's still a little gun shy because of that check. And then once he flipped that switch, that Merrimack game towards the end of the season, I don't know if you remember that oh, one, yeah. where they all had the Brady on their back and on oh, yeah, the I was Merrimack. At that it was, with, it was like they tried to fill up the XL center. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was the, what do they call it? Operation 7000 or Mission 7000 yeah. or something like that. I just like remember that. someone from Merrimack like passed away. That's why they all wore the Brady jerseys, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... I just remember that was the game where it was like, holy crap, this freshman class is good. I, oh, there was yeah. one where it was like a tic-tac-toe goal that Yakum was involved. It might have gone Yakum to Johnny to Ruslan or Ruslan to Johnny. It was something like that. And then I remember Ruslan had like a backwards between the legs pass to Johnny and Johnny scored. It was just like spectacular goal after spectacular goal. And with like how bad they were that entire season to just beat the crap out of a team. It was awesome. Yeah. So is that like your favorite UConn team you've ever covered? Because in my opinion, the fa- my favorite UConn team that I ever watched was the year prior to that one when they had Maxim Latunov in that mm-hmm. huge senior class. And they went on that run. Like the one game I specifically remember is where they played Providence and they were kind of struggling a little bit. And Providence was a top 10 ranked team and they went in and they won that game on the road. And it was one of the best hockey games I've ever seen live. And Tanner Creel was out of his mind. He went on that huge run towards the end of the season. And then they um, unfortunately lost to BU, who ended up winning the hockey's championship that year. But that team was probably my favorite team to watch. And I think this year's team definitely has a chance to beat that team. But was it, that, was it the year after that team that was your favorite team just because it was your first year covering UConn hockey? Yeah, well, that year – I probably followed the team as much as I followed any UConn team to that point. Like I, we had a hockey writer. I was busy with women's basketball. I wasn't great at keeping up with the hockey team and what they were doing. I knew the big names. I would go to a handful of games here and there, but I couldn't pretend like I knew the roster all that well, but I was at that BU game where they set the record for consecutive wins. It was the second to last game of the year. Was it a two hours overtime goal? Yep. Exactly. They came down from, 
uh, two goal deficit twice in that game, got to overtime, huge crowd at the XL center, awesome crowd at the XL center. I remember I was sitting two rows up, I believe, or two or three rows up on the left side, facing the ice of the student section with a lot of my friends. It was just an unbelievable atmosphere, an unbelievable game. The crowd just went nuts. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I've been missing out for the, my first two years of college, not coming to these games, not being up to date with this team. My favorite team, that's a tough one. I mean, it's kind of weird because I've been covering the team four years now, but the first year I didn't really know what I was doing and that team sucked. So I can't really say that was an enjoyable season to cover, even though the end of it was pretty fun. The year after that, I did really like how that team kind of evolved where they got their doors blown off by BC early in the year and then really recovered strong at the end of the first half and then got really sick at the start of the second half and had to recover from that. Then the playoffs never happened. I still stand to this day that if they went up to Maine for that series, if COVID didn't happen, they would have won one of those games. I, I don't know if they would have won the series. They would have won one of those games. I mean, Jeremy Swayman was nuts. So mm-hmm. he might've single-handedly won them a series, but I really think they would have pulled out one of them and wouldn't be talking about their lack of postseason success as much. And last year, it's tough to say that was my favorite year just because it sucked. It was terrible. I really just, as the job as a whole, it wasn't very fun because it was all through the computer. I really wasn't feeling well for a lot of last year. So it just didn't have that same enjoyment. You didn't get the fun of going to the games, getting to talk to Cab in person, just casually chatting with someone whether it be bill the sid who's awesome or anything like that so in terms of hockey yeah that was a really fun team to watch but i can't say that was my favorite this year's been pretty interesting too because i've gotten to pretty much every game except the two at ohio state bu on the road actually i think it's just those three the two mm-hmm. at ohio state and bu on the road i wasn't going to be going up to merrimack on friday for the game, the first game that got canceled of that. And then I wasn't going to be at one of the AIC games. I hadn't decided which one yet, but now I'm a little excited just because Merrimack's the one hockey East arena. I haven't been to at this point. So now depending on when that Merrimack game falls, I might be able to get up to it. So I don't know. I I think every year is different and it's also just not a very large sample size to be able to pick from. I'm basically trying to pick between two years and each one's kind of different. So I don't really know if I have a favorite yet. Yeah. I think for that 2019-20 team, like they definitely were capable of winning that series because when they went mm-hmm. up to Maine, they were the only team to beat Maine on the road. But then the second game, Jeremy Swayman pretty much stole it. I think it was like <laughs> Maine won, it, yeah. won nothing in overtime. So I'm yep. pretty confident if COVID didn't happen, they would be able to go to the Garden for the first time. Yeah, one game. That, yeah. Like just They could have won one game yeah. in that series. I am very confident about that. Like – Sure. I'll listen to an argument that they could have won or lost the series. I don't really have a strong feeling about that one way or the other. Then you're really getting into the hypotheticals, but they would have won a game. I will die on that hill. Oh yeah, totally. Now you, what major were you when you were at UConn communications, journalism, like in this, I was a UConn blog essentially like with the team. Right. So I was a communications major. I never really had any strong idea of what I wanted to do in college or really what I wanted to do after college when I started, but I figured, okay, communications, that checks off a lot of boxes. At the time, I liked making videos on YouTube. They're still up there. I liked doing, I just liked creating things on the internet. And I think a lot of that started with the Yukon blog and it just felt like doing communications could kind of be a broad field. I could 
get in, at least maybe figure out along the way what I wanted to do. Turns out if I didn't have the current job I have, I have no idea what I would be doing still. So I got started with that. I just didn't really feel like I needed to do journalism classes because some, the way I like to look at journalism, or at least the way I like to do my job, is there's the set of rules that people 50 years ago wrote about journalism that are for a paper. And this is what you need to do for a paper. And this is how you need to handle, carry yourself and how to write your stories. And I just don't love that concept. I think what I really like about my job is I can write a typical news story or I can write a big feature on someone or I can just throw my opinion out there and say stupid things and I'm not going to be hold up under this arbitrary standard of journalism or I can have podcasts or I can make videos and there's just so many different things that I can do. I think that's what I really like about it. And I just kind of felt like I was learning what I needed to learn about journalism with the job that I was doing by covering UConn women's basketball. Even if I worked for the student paper, the daily campus, I know a lot of great people that worked at the daily campus. This isn't a knock on them, but I wasn't going to be covering women's basketball until maybe my senior year. If I was lucky, I got to do it all four years. I got to cover two sports. I got to actually cover women's soccer, which led me to being a practice player on the women's soccer team. My senior year for a little bit, I covered a little bit of baseball. I wrote about a lot of different sports. So I think, I just never felt like I needed the journalism degree and I wanted to take different classes. So I kind of got to my junior year and I was running out of communications classes to take. I declared a history minor. And then as I was picking classes for my senior year, I realized I was like two classes away from an American studies minor. So I just decided to go for that one as well. So it was really nice at the end of my college career. I ended up really, really enjoying the history classes, had some of my favorite professors taking that. I think if I could go back, I would have double majored with history instead of just all communications. But I don't know how much difference there is in a, in a history major as compared to minor. So yeah, I think I'm still happy with the communications degree. I don't think I would have changed that just because, you know, if five, a year, five years, 10 years from now, I decide I don't want to be a sports writer anymore. I have a lot of options that I can go into. I have a lot of experience in the communications field. So yeah, that's, really kind of how it all got going was just, okay, this is a decent idea. I could probably figure this out. Why not? Well, we have a lot in common because I graduated high school in 2020 and I'm also a communications major. So art and I'm a big UConn hockey fan. So already three things that we have in common, but uh, the last question I want to have, I want to ask you before we talk about just this year's team is, so you cover a bunch of different other teams with UConn. How do you try to balance it all and make sure that you're like kind of have a good understanding of each team because I feel like the toughest part about being a journalist like yourself is you watch the women's basketball team. You have to know what's going on there, but you also have to do the same thing for the men's hockey team. What's kind of your secret to balancing it all? Well, first you're making me feel ancient by saying you graduated high school the same year I graduated (laughs) college and you're now a sophomore in college. I don't like that. Uh, My secret of how I balance it is I don't, I (laughs) <laughs> I I have no answer. One of my friends asked me the other day who writes for The Current, she was like, I don't know how you cover two teams. And I'm like, I, I honestly don't either. I have no, I don't have any answer for you. It's a lot of work. Honestly, what I, st- what I started doing this year in particular is, okay, I'll usually try and take Mondays off if it works because I'm working the whole weekend and I need a day to reset. Usually it'll be like, depending on how the week goes Tuesdays, I'm just going to switch my brain to hockey and I'm going to get a lot of hockey stuff done that week. 
And then Wednesday, I'm going to switch my brain to women's basketball. And I'm going to do a lot of women's basketball stuff that day. And then Thursday is usually when we talk to Cav on Zoom. So I'm already in the hockey mode. I'm going to stay in the hockey mode. And then other days, it's okay. I There's a game tomorrow for women's basketball. I'm going to do women's basketball today. And I got to mix in a hockey thing here or there. So it's just knowing what I have to do in a given week, knowing what's coming up and just planning it out ahead of time in my head more than anything so that I know what's coming, what I need to think about. And it's just, I don't know. You, you, it, I, I have no definitive answer. It's just, I've kind of figured it out as we've gone. And it's, it also helps that, you know, hockey has this break. So this week, I mean, I'm doing hockey stuff for the hockey hub, but it's mostly women's basketball because they've got the game coming up. So most of my energy can be on that. If women's basketball only has one game, then I can put a lot more focus into hockey. They're both playing like two or three games in a week. Then I just don't sleep. So you figure out ways no matter how, how it comes about. And yeah, then sometimes it's just like, all right, I want to do this and this, and I just got to punt those things because I, I can't get it done. So it's all just about managing the workload, managing the time, those sorts of things. Yeah, that's a good skill that I'm learning right now in college is just managing my (laughs) time. But I feel like that's probably helped you a lot. lot. But what the cool thing with UConn is how great all the athletic programs are. Like Mm -hmm. I covered, I was interning for the Cape Cod Baseball League this summer. And someone on my team was Andrew Marrero and he went to UConn. Oh, yeah. We talked a little bit. It was kind of cool him talking to me about the new ballpark, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm excited. I'm going to try to visit soon. And just how like great the UConn baseball team was. They won the Big East Championship regular season as well. So and I never really knew that. And it was kind of cool to learn about the different athletic programs and just how great the student athletes are who play for those teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only national championship that got won when I was at UConn was field hockey. And that was awesome. And then I was super involved with the goal patrol, which was the student section for soccer games. So we got to know the guys on the guys, the men's team specifically, they would invite us over to parties. They'd um, have us over do stuff like that I still talk with a couple of them one of them came in Abdu Baki Jam with Louisville City in the USL to Hartford Athletic went to that game got to see him afterwards so that was really awesome so it it is great that UConn has a very high standard for all its athletics and it makes sure to keep that standard and then even women's hockey they're having oh, yeah. the best year ever I want to say they're 14-4-1 mm-hmm. Chris McKenzie is absolutely awesome he's hilarious he's been hilarious every time I've ever talked with him, obviously men's programs getting there. Women's soccer has a huge history of winning too, even though they've never won a national championship, they've been very successful in the past. Yeah. It's so cool that it's just all big time sports. It's not like you just have one program. Well, I mean, currently it's a football program where you're just like, come on, what are you doing? It's like, you know, the meme with the three dragon heads and two of them have like the scary face and the other one's Mm -hmm. just got the tongue sticking out. That's currently UConn football. They're currently their own problem, but it's still FBS football. I mean, who came through the rent this year? It was Houston. Uh, I mean, like they get good games, so it's still high level football, even if we don't play it at a high level. So yeah, it's, it's so much fun. It's such a great place to go to school. Baseball team obviously I had a lot of friends on the baseball team so that was fun too because not only watching the team I know the guys on it yeah Elliott Ballpark is unbelievable it's an awesome awesome place to watch a game highly recommend going this spring oh yeah I'm I'm planning on going this spring it should be fun and hopefully I get to see some of the guys from the CCBL shine um this oh yeah for sure but no it's been it's been fun those guys in the CCBL are great and it's cool to see how they translate their skills from that league Mm -hmm. to um uh, college baseball once they get back but with the women's hockey team 
they've been fun to watch. And the the reason I don't know how they're not ranked. That's but that's like another story for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. I I mean the women's basketball rankings came out yesterday in UConn seven, and I saw people getting mad. I just can't get myself. Like I can't feel any emotions about rankings because they're completely pointless, especially with, with hockey. It's just the old boys club or the old girls club. Like it doesn't matter. It's pointless. It's so arbitrary. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's good for the program to get some recognition, but if their name's not BC, they weren't good at hockey 50 years ago. So clearly they aren't good at hockey now. It's stupid. Yeah. Well, Harvard, they haven't really beat any good teams in women's hockey and UConn's being some really good teams. And I think UConn's being a couple, I think they came close to being Northeastern this year, who was a ranked team and they have a better record than Harvard and Harvard's number 10th in the ranking. So it's just stuff like that just, just makes no sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Now let's kind of transition and talk about this year's current UConn team. It's been fun to watch, even though it's got shut down for a bit. So my first question to you is how will this COVID situation affect UConn um, as they start playing games again coming in January? So from what I know, it's not actually going to be much of a fact. It's not supposed to be much of a factor. I should add that in for the next semester because right now I don't actually know how many are in it at least enough that they couldn't meet the hockey's requirements. So you think by the end of the second semester or by the start of the second half, they're going to have enough guys available to play. They're going to be through this. I am a little worried that I assume they're going home for Christmas. I haven't heard anything otherwise. So is that going to maybe mess things up? Could some guys come back and be positive and could that affect the team? I don't know. Cav sounded pretty optimistic when I talked to him last Friday that it wasn't going to be an issue. I think it's just going to continue coming up across hockey East and college sports in general, just as the numbers are going up, you got the new variant out there, you know, vaccines are waning. I think it's just going to be an issue. I think we're probably going to see plenty of games postponed that even aren't UConn's problem. It seems like they're getting through these troubles without too much issue. So I don't know. It's hard to say. I can't predict the future and what it's going to be like that, but it sounds like UConn might be through the woods once they get to the second semester, at least fingers crossed. Yeah. That's the one like worry. I didn't, to be honest with you, when the season started, I'm like, at worst COVID just going to knock out like players, but it won't like cancel games. And I said that yeah. right when the news came out where two players were in the COVID protocol. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the second first half of the season's over. But I think what you're seeing with the NHL, with a lot of teams dealing with this, it seems like it's going to be an issue uh, in hockey as the season goes on. So my thing with the thing is with Harvard, the luckily for UConn, they haven't played a game since December 4th. That was their final game for the first half. But will UConn get some practice time in before the game against Harvard? Because I don't know. I'm not sure how that works out with like the Christmas break. So from what I've covered in the past, usually they get back right after Christmas. I know when they played in the Ledyard Classic at Dartmouth, it was like December 26th they needed to be back. I don't know exactly what the schedule is going to be when the coaching staff wants them to return. But yeah, if it's January 2nd, then let me just pull up a calendar and see what that schedule looks like. So if January 2nd is their first game, I would guess that the coaching staff probably has them come back the 27th, 28th, 29th, somewhere in there. They'll definitely be able to get plenty of practice time in as long as everyone's healthy, which hopefully won't will will be fine. I know way back during the preseason, Cav talked about maybe getting an exhibition before they came back for the Harvard game. I don't know if that's still on the docket. It doesn't really sound like it. Cav made it seem when I talked with him on Friday that it was just going to be Harvard. So 
it helps that you got a non-conference game to open things. So even if you lose, Harvard's a good team. It's not going to kill you in any, any rankings. And you can at least get, what is it, 60 minutes under your belt to then go play at BC the next Friday so or the next Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not ideal, but it, you're, you still got like three weeks off coming into that Harvard game. So I don't know how much of a difference two extra weeks really makes. I think it's still pretty much the same as it, as, as it would have been to begin with. Yeah, and the thing with the uh, with the the thing that I think COVID's going to affect UConn is with this with the rescheduling. Now, I'm not sure when you know the games are going to be rescheduled, but I checked AIC's and Merrimack's schedule, and it does not line up very well for both teams, especially with Merrimack because they pretty much play every weekend except for like one weekend, which is I think the Bridgeport Classic. So UConn wouldn't be able to uh, play them that weekend. So when do you think these games are going to get rescheduled then? because my assumption is they're going to have to do a lot of midweek games. And that means they could potentially play three to four games in one week. And could that affect the goaltending situation? Cause I know Cav likes to start one goalie for every game. Like, how do you think that's going to affect with the rescheduling? I would be surprised if the Merrimack games didn't get made up at some point. And you never know a game could drop at some point in the schedule because of COVID and suddenly both teams have an opening on the same weekend. UConn does have a couple single game weekends after the break. So I do think it'll probably be midweek at some point, whether that's a Tuesday, a Wednesday, something like that. AIC, it sounds like they really want to play that game, which I don't totally understand. It's a non-conference game. I think you're better off just playing two games in a weekend rather than maybe overtaxing your team, potentially opening yourself up to injuries, anything of that nature. Obviously, you can't play hockey and try and avoid injuries, but I don't know how much you really need to put yourself out there for extra games, especially in a pretty tight window. I think they probably make up one of the AIC games. I would be really surprised if they get both of those in somewhere, unless again, a weekend opens up and both teams have it available. But other than that, I think it's probably going to be midweek games from Aramac, a midweek game somewhere with AIC, but yeah, it's, it's tricky and, hopefully these are the only games they have to reschedule at some point. If not, we might see the return of last year's weighted standings for hockey, the hockey's power index that nobody said what it was. So I, I think that's probably how it's going to end up. I just don't see a way that all games get completed this season, especially if things continue getting worse in the COVID regard. Yeah, I think it, I was actually looking forward to the ASC game because they're one of the best teams in Atlantic hockey, and I think it would have been a good challenge for UConn to see how they do against – because when Sacred Heart came to Hartford, they played them really well. I thought they played them a lot better than Colgate did um, in the first half of the season. So I was actually interested to see how they do against those Atlantic teams, and it was going to be cool to see Brian Regali come back to play his former team. Oh, that's right. That I forgot about that. I had a running joke when Brian Regali was at UConn that he leads the team in – the number of breakaways without having ever scored a goal on a breakaway. He was incredible at getting on them, horrible at finishing. So I was telling someone and they're like, you know, Brian Regali scoring on a breakaway against UConn. And I was like, Oh, absolutely. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that's happening. So if they do play AIC, just inserting my prediction now that Brian Regali will have a breakaway <laughs> goal against UConn, no doubt. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they make up those games, but if they can't find dates, I guess they just don't play Merrimack this year, which would be just, I think that I was looking forward to that series as well, just because I think Merrimack's given a lot of teams some tough games and they seem like they've improved a lot since last year. Oh, definitely. I can't make any sense of who Merrimack is as a team, just because Mm -hmm. 
you look at their schedule and yeah, they do give teams a lot of tough times, but then they also just don't seem like they're all that good of a team. And Colgate was kind of the same way where it's like, okay, I don't really know what to expect out of Colgate looking at their schedule, looking at their numbers. And they were almost as bad as Dartmouth. They were terrible. They were one of the worst hockey teams I've seen UConn play. So I was really interested just to see what level Merrimack was at and how UConn could handle that level because they hadn't been completely swept all six points in a single hockey series this year. So it was going to be a really interesting series that is disappointing that it's not going to happen at least for the imagine in a yeah. back-to-back type thing. Yeah. So. No, what were your overall thoughts on the team's performance in the first half? I thought they did pretty well, but I thought there were some, there's some things they need to work on for the second half, just in my opinion. Yeah, I'm thoroughly whelmed. I think I put pretty high expectations on this team just because of the way they played last year. I really didn't think they lost anyone that was all that important except Bomajka and Kale Howard to a degree and Adam Karashek. I thought those were the three guys that were really going to be missing. Other than that, I, I thought that was just they had guys on the roster they could replace them with. They had transfers that they could replace them with. I think they probably – I mean, it's weird to say that they probably had their best first half that they've ever had, and I'm still a little underwhelmed by it. I just don't feel like they've really played at their ceiling a whole lot. I think it was a lot closer to it against Colgate. There weren't really a whole lot of flaws in their game that day, I didn't think. It didn't help that the crowd was just pretty much completely dead for that game. I mean, I was making noise. Don't worry. (laughs) It was silent in the XL center for a lot of that game. So I think the energy level was a little low for that game. And that was a big reason why, but for the most part, it was a pretty complete performance. It was a little close at the end of the first period. And then UConn just ran away with it very quickly in the second, but it just felt like there was always something to pick apart with their performance every single time, even if they won where it was, yeah, they won, but the power play didn't really contribute. Yeah, they won, but they only scored two goals. Yeah, they won, but it took them until the third period to finally start scoring like it did against Dartmouth. So I was never really feeling like, okay, this is what this team is capable of. This is the electric offense that we expected them to have with all these forwards. This is just up to preseason expectations. I think there's still another level this team can reach. And also not having these four games hurts because – you know, even if we just pretend like they won those last four games, you're 11 and seven going into the break. You feel pretty good about that. And they historically do really well in the second half. So now you're only building off that. Not that, what are they? Eight and, they're eight and six, right? Yeah. So eight and six isn't a bad record. I mean, they're above 500. I think there's probably a game or two that you'd like back. The first Ohio State game where you led two or three, nothing. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what it was the BU game at home where you gave up two goals late, especially with how underwhelming BU is this year, the BC game at home. I really thought that one probably should have been a win. Even if you just flip those, you're 11 and three, that's pretty incredible. So yeah, they're playing well. This is still probably the best they've ever played in the first half. Still feel like there's something missing with this team that I'd like to see them break out in the second half and just ascend to another level. Yeah, the one disappointing thing about the COVID thing was I thought they were building good momentum after that Colgate game because the power play started to get going. And they're also getting secondary scoring from players that I think needed to start getting goals like Artem Schlein and Cardinal Turnbull. And I was I was like, this is good because now they're getting this positive momentum against a really important series against Merrimack. And then, then COVID just shut it down. So now like going into Harvard, 
uh, in a few weeks. I'm like, what are they going to look like? You just never know. So that was disappointing. And then with the crowd, I think it, the, the band not being there had an effect. That was, I was really disappointed to not see the band there. That usually makes the games more fun to watch. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's obviously a big factor in the energy. It was just, it yeah. almost felt like I didn't, well, I watched, I was able to get to women's basketball games at Gamble during COVID. I couldn't watch any of the hockey games in person just because of the way the the protocols worked out. But the Colgate game very much had the feel of a friends and family only atmosphere. It was mm-hmm. just so quiet, so empty just very low energy. It was weird. I hope there aren't many of games like that the rest of the year, because it's just, it's not as enjoyable. I mean, I don't consider myself a fan of the team, but it's more fun to cover teams that are good. It's more fun to cover teams that score a lot of goals just naturally. And it's more fun to be at games that are exciting. And even when the game was exciting, it still just felt very muted. So yeah. Cause the game, that was a great crowd. And I feel like it's another level to that game. Um, I don't know what you thought about that. Oh, 100%. I mean, BC fans always travel really well, but Mm -hmm. it was still a very, very heavy UConn crowd. It wasn't like BC fans were making up most of it. It was, Mm -hmm. you'd see BC jerseys here and there more than you would see for most other schools, but a lot of UConn fans there. I think it being a Friday night as opposed to, was it a Sunday game? No, it was a Saturday game. Day Saturday game, afternoon. Not, yeah, it was after. Yeah. Part of the reason was traffic was brutal getting into Hartford that day. Oh. So okay. that could have. I didn't know that. Well, and also, wasn't that a big college football day? I have no clue. I don't watch college football. So <laughs> maybe it I, was. I don't either, but I think like that that was like the rivalry week for college football. So I yeah. think that plays a factor in it too, which is also why they historically get better crowds in the second half. Yeah. The BC game was great. I think they've had some really solid crowds this year. The BU game too, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. right, was pretty good. Nothing tops Maine though. If you ever get a chance to make a road trip up to Maine, that is an unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah. Everyone has told me that's the best hockey arena. but I went to Mullen center uh, a few years before – it was the game they played before COVID, like shut the season yep. down. That's my f- personal favorite hockey East Arena. That atmosphere really? was awesome. The student section at UMass was the, the best student section I've ever seen. I just – I really enjoyed that arena a lot. I'm going back there um, in February when they play them again. So – but that so, – so I haven't been to any every hockey East Arena, so I can't say definitively that's the best one, but I really enjoyed that r- rank. That is a take right there. Oh, really? I just – I I don't find the Mullen Center all that interesting. I mean, it's just, I think it's too big to really get a really intimate atmosphere. I really like Matthews Arena at Northeastern. The student section there is really awesome. The rest of the crowd, it was, I think that was a Tuesday night. So it wasn't a very big crowd aside from the students, but the student section was great. I thought the band was really good. It's just a really, really cool arena. My seat in the press box, I could literally like, throw something into the Yukon bench. If I wanted to, I could hear him calling guys off the ice. I couldn't hear what they were saying on in the bench, but I could hear a lot that was going on. Gutterson field house up at UVM is also really cool. That's just one that the barn is awesome. I think I went during Thanksgiving break. It was before I covered the team. So 2016 or 17, I didn't get a great feel of what the student section and the energy is like for that, but that's still a good one. Alphond, yeah, that in Maine, that one's pretty great. The wit at UNH, that could be a good one, but the team's just not all that great, so that doesn't yeah. help. 
The uh, UMass Lowell Sangha Center, it's a nice arena. They get okay crowds. I, I never thought that was anything special. BU, every time I've gone to UConn or BU, not only has it been empty, UConn's beaten yeah. the crap out of BU, yeah. and the UConn fans have been louder than the BU mm-hmm. fans. So I have a very low opinion of the atmosphere, even though Aganis Arena is oh, just awesome. a, a really nice arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Schneider, Schneider Arena at Providence. That, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, very loud, but uncreative student section. Oh yeah. That's, that's how I'll describe the Providence students. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was chanting like you at the, I was watching the Providence game this year and they were chanting at the UConn like bench, like secondary school. And that like, what? Like it's so hard to get into UConn. So I don't understand like what they were talking about for that. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they basically just have the same variation of one chant that yeah. involves a certain word. <laughs> Yeah. Well, UConn hasn't played Vermont in like three years, so I haven't had the chance to see oh. them play. But I will try to go if they if they do play them that at some point. But no, I, I really like Mullins. I thought it was a cool spot. And Amherst, if you've ever been around that town, it's a really nice um, area to be around. I really enjoyed that. So that maybe that had something to do with that. It's just there's a lot to do around the rink. Yeah, I mean, I love UConn, but going to Amherst, going – even Durham has like a really nice little downtown center with yeah. nice little places. I just don't love how UConn, you have Sergeant Peps on campus. That's like the only half decent local place. Everything else in store center, or that's not in store center, but everything else that's in store center, it's all a chain. Any of the other really good places around UConn you have to drive to. So yeah, it's just of it like just going to these other places is so much fun to explore i always love trying to find the best pizza place around that's usually my go-to so i can't think of the name of the place that i went in amherst but they did have very good pizza Mm -hmm. so i do enjoy making that road trip it's one of the easier ones to make in hockey just because it's a straight shot up 91 for me so i don't dislike it i just it's nothing special to me yeah, I understand. I think UConn has the best pizza places around, like Willington after UConn oh, game. Willington get better is than fire. Yeah. So good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. It's just, it's not on campus. That's yeah. the one gripe I have. I don't know yeah. why they don't open a spot on campus. I feel like it would kill. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think what's around campus. Ted's. That's like the only, well, that's the, my dad went to UConn. Now. He said that was a big uh, spot around campus. Low-key, really good food at Ted's, actually. Yeah. Like great, great bar food, really good wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ted's. Sergeant Peps is the best pizza place on campus. It's it's one of those pizza places that's firmly solid. Like it's not one that you're gonna go out of your way, like, oh, I haven't had Sergeant Peps in forever. But mm-hmm. it's also not like the stuff that they bring in for your fifth grade pizza party. Yeah. So it it's good. It does the job. It's right next to two of the bars. It's right next across the street from Ted. So mm-hmm. location is obviously a big factor with it. Then yeah, I mean, everything in store center is really a chain. There's Subway. I think there's another pizza place up there, but I think that's like the pizza party style pizza. Yeah, just very underwhelming food options at UConn. Well, Wyatt Newpower once told me that his favorite pizza was Domino's at UConn. I was like, why? I was very surprised to hear his answer on that. So that was like one of the most funniest responses I've ever heard from a UConn hockey player. So but kind of transitioning back to the hockey thing, like what do you think is the biggest strength of this UConn team? Because in my opinion, I think it's been the resiliency. And what I mean by that is they had a tough weekend against Ohio State. They couldn't score. But I thought they bounced back very well against a great Northeastern team. And then also they were on that three-game losing streak, losing to BC, um, Providence, and UMass Lowell. And then that Sunday game against UMass Lowell, in my opinion, was their best performance. They played outstanding. I thought defensively they played well. I thought that was Hanson's best game. 
and they found a way to pull off that win against a really solid bowl team. I think it's been good to see how they've kind of been resilient and figured out a ways to figure out their problems. Cause like the big question from that little series was the power plays and doing that well. And then they go out and score a power play goal against Colgate. So what do you think has been the biggest strength of this UConn team from your perspective? No, I definitely agree with that because it's not only how they've recovered from those losing streaks or those tough losses, but we haven't seen them get blown out. Ah, they got blown out against Providence. I'm going to say they got blown out against Providence, even though that game had a relatively close scoreline. I never felt like they were really in that one, but I guess you could still make an argument that they kept it close and that's worth something, I guess. I had a point, (laughs) but they've given up goals to start games and they've bounced back and they've come back and won. It just seems like nothing really phases this team. We see other teams will do it where UConn will score a couple on them. I mean, Colgate is a really good example. UConn scored a few goals and Colgate was done. They were checked out. They weren't making any comeback. I just really like how this team bites through everything that they get, how even the UMass Lowell game, that was a tight one. That was a tough one. That was one that they needed to make plays at the end of the game to win. Past teams would have lost that game. They found a way. They pulled out wins. And also, even just when they're not playing all that great, the first game up at Maine, both games up at Maine, mm-hmm. honestly, they really didn't play all that well in that series. And they came away with five points, two wins. I thought that was really impressive. So, yeah, I'd agree with that because they have a ton of forward depth, but I don't know how well that's really come through. I think Hansen's been good. I don't think he's been spectacular. I think he's been a little his numbers are a little better than what he's actually been. Their defense feels like it's a little up and down for me where some games they play great defensively. Some games I feel like they don't even know what defense is and their penalty kill hasn't been good enough for me to say, Oh yeah, that's been the best part of their team because it's been really good, but it's also been really bad a couple games. So yeah, yeah, I think resiliency is really that one thing that you can point to and say from start to finish, that's what they've consistently had all year long. And even if it doesn't lead to wins every time, they're still keeping games close pretty much every single night. Yeah, one thing I thought was interesting was Coach Ka- Coach Cav said, "Beat the." Uh, thank you for asking this in the press conference when he said he won't, there was only one loss that bothered him, and you said what, what which loss was that? And he said the BC game, and that really surprised me actually because I thought that it would be either that Ohio State game or the Providence game. But I understood his reasoning why he didn't think that Providence game bothered him too much because they scored four goals, and usually you win games scoring four goals. But I thought they took some horrible penalties in that game that kind of cost him. And like you said, I think Hanson, that was by far his worst game, was against Providence. He gave up some goals. I was like, oof, like you need to get that. So, um, But I thought he bounced back very well against UMass Lowell. So, but that was like, I, I was very surprised to hear that, that BC loss was the one that bothered him. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by that too. I think I would also have picked – see, I didn't watch the first Ohio State game because I was covering first night up for basketball, so I only caught overtime where they kicked the crap out of Ohio State overtime and somehow lost. Yeah, I watched the full game the next day, and they like they played well enough to have won that game. I don't know if they deserved to win, but the scoreline was a little I, – I did kind of see what he meant, that they didn't have the energy. They just didn't really play their game against BC. I felt like they almost played to the name on the jersey – for BC instead of the actual team. Whereas last year, they didn't really care about the name on the Jersey when it came to BC. I still think I would pick Providence. I was just so incredibly underwhelmed by that performance. I did really think that was their best energy game of the season as Cavs said post game, but yeah, come on. Like it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, you guys just got beat pretty bad 
Can mm-hmm. you just say that you got beat pretty bad? Can you not pull out the positives of mm-hmm. it just just once? Uh, I, I play this game with Bill, the SID, sometimes where it's okay. What's Cav going to say today? And <laughs> what we guessed going in was, oh, that was just a great college hockey game. First thing out of his mouth, oh, that was just a great college <laughs> hockey game. Or I don't know if that was the one that we guessed it was a great college hockey game, but it was something along those lines. So it, it was just kind of funny that we nailed it. I'd probably pick Providence. I just, it felt like everything that went wrong went wrong for them in that game. They shot themselves in the foot more than Providence really beat them. So, yeah, I, I'd probably pick that one. Um, yeah. I think the Jared Gorley penalty was kind of like a big example because, like, that was, I just didn't think it was necessary to take that penalty, and that really got Providence going on that power play. That was an adventure from Jared Gorley that game. Didn't he oh, score? There was, I, I think he did score, yeah. He scored the first goal in that game. <laughs> He scored the first goal, and I think like 10 seconds later got the penalty. Yeah, from that huge scrum, which I'm surprised the, the gloves didn't get dropped. That was pretty – that was like the biggest scrum of the year so far. That used to be how UConn-UVM games were. Back 2016, 17, 18, when UVM had an actual hockey team, every single whistle that would get blown, they were going at it. It was so much fun. I remember going to a handful of those games at the XL Center. Oh, always a really good time watching those games. It's not as fun now. I mean, they again, they haven't played them. The last time they played them was 2019. the first half, 2019. Yeah, it's been, so. it's going to be three years since they played them. And it, it, what's funny is the next year when they play them on the road, presumably, none of those players have ever played at UVM on the road when they play it, which crazy. is crazy. Really crazy. Yeah, very disappointed that the one year they would have gone up or the rotation because it's two at home against uh, UVM, two on the road. Same thing with uh, Maine. Yeah. Really disappointed that the year that they would have gone up was a COVID year and it obviously didn't even happen. So I'm looking forward to get up to that one. That's a really fun road trip. Obviously, Burlington's great. It's a great atmosphere to go to. Just checks off a lot of boxes on that trip. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, kind of getting back, what do you think is the thing they need to improve on the most um, to get better and go on a deep hockey East playoff run? Because in my opinion, there's a few things. I think it's the consistency, though. Um, first half of the season, it was penalties. I thought they were taking too many dumb penalties, and I thought that was a big problem for the team. I think that's why they lost that BU game is because of the Turnbull penalty. And then they seemed to clean that up, but then it was their power play. They weren't doing well in the power play. They couldn't figure out power play goals. And now it's kind of like it seemed they, they kind of figured it all out against Colgate. But what do you think is the biggest thing they need to improve on? I think for me it's the consistency factor. I'm going to go power play one. I'm going to go power play two. And I'm going to go power play three because I think they're going to figure it out with the consistency. I'm not all that worried about that. You're going to have ups and downs. At least if you can have the waves be a little less high and low, then you can chug along a little better. I think you need to avoid the stupid penalties like that one by Turnbull was bad. Nick Capone's had a couple dumb ones this year, but this is going to be a team that takes more penalties than your average squad just because of how physical they are, how aggressive they are with a lot of the way they play. I'm not all that worried about that, especially with how well the penalty kill has been this year. They can afford to take a few more penalties than most others. You'd rather have a good penalty, a team that takes more penalties and has a good penalty kill than a team that doesn't take that many penalties, but gives up a penalty kill goal or a power play goal every four tries one in every four tries i really think if this is going to be a hockey championship caliber team and i think that's probably going to be a tournament team i don't really see them competing for the regular season just where they sit in standings currently 
you got to get the power play going to win games in March. You got to get the power play goal going. And there's been flashes, the goal power play goal that they scored against sacred heart. I still, to this day say it's the best power play goal I've ever seen UConn score. Was it, it was unbelievable one? how well they executed. Was it the Torberg one? If my memory serves me correctly. I believe so. They only had one against sacred heart and it was that one. Yeah. They scored like the that one. Time. I was right there. Yeah. 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 It was like, Win the faceoff, pass, pass, goal. It mm-hmm. was seven seconds, maybe seventeen seconds. It was very, very quick. I actually found the number. Each of their first like four power play goals came within like fifteen seconds of the yeah. power play starting. Someone broke that recently, but then, and to be fair, they also had one power play goal not get counted because it literally went across the goal line as the penalty expired at Maine. Mm-hmm. It was one of the ones, I think it was Friday night. Yeah. So I, after the game, I went to go talk to Cav and we went into the coach's locker room and Joe Pereira, who run the associate head coach who runs the power play comes out. He's like, Oh, Hey Dan, what's up? And he goes, Bill, how is that not a power play goal? <laughs> like, look at the film. That was a power play goal. <laughs> and Bill's like, Joe, I, there's nothing I can do about this. Like I'm not the one scoring. And he's like, well, can you at least tell someone like that's gotta be a power play goal. <laughs> so that was really funny. I don't know how it wasn't. It was literally as it expired, but you, that's gotta be a big piece of their offense. I think we've seen them really good on the rush this year. I don't know how well they've converted on the rush. They probably should be better in that regard, but they've been really good at getting breakaways and getting odd man rushes this year. They've been pretty decent with their offensive zone play. I think it could be a little better, but for the most part, I think you got to be pretty happy with that. They've also been, I think, fairly solid on just having, I've been calling them individual moments of brilliance. We saw it with uh, Andre Lee against for UMass Lowell against UConn, where he just had two goals that were, he got it and you're like, oh, he's scoring this and he Mm -hmm. scored them. And then it felt like every single one that they scored against Colgate was just great individual hockey. I think if you can mix that with really good zone play with getting on the rush, and then if you get the power play going, finally, we're going to see this team and all the forward talent they have and all the attacking talent, the offensive talent that they have. This is going to be a really explosive team if they can figure that out. So if we get into the hockey's playoffs and the power play still kind of like it is now where gets hot for a couple games and then fades off and gets hot for a couple games. I can't see them making that deep of a run, which granted that could be, they win one game and lose in the semifinals. That's still pretty successful. Mm -hmm. If the power play is a strength of the team by that point, I don't know if I pick them to win hockey's, but I think they'd definitely be one of the top contenders. They'd be a team that you don't want to play there. So there are a lot of places that I think they need to clean up, but the power play, I feel like, is the one switch that if they can get that flipped, this is going to be a much, much different and a much more dangerous team. Now, there's been a lot of players on UConn that have gotten a lot of recognition. Obviously, Torvberg making the team Canada, not like the final roster, but getting invited mm-hmm. to the camp. But who's one player that's really impressed you the most? And I'll start off first. In me, it's been two defensemen, Carter Berger and Roman Canal. I was interested to see how they would do this year, especially with Adam Karashek and Jan Kuznetsov leaving the team. And I thought both of those players have really stepped up, and I don't think they're getting enough recognition as they should. I think they've done a good job 
just being good stay-at-home defensemen, but also um, throwing the puck on the net, creating um, offensive chances, but also bringing a good physical presence. And it seems like they've been good leaders on the team. And I think you would know more about that than me because you're around the team constantly. But those two players I've been really impressed by so far. And I don't know what you think. I think Berger has a couple goals this year as well. So it's been good to see. Yeah, I'm definitely not disagreeing, but I'm thinking back. I think it was Friday night at Maine. The first, like, 10 minutes of the game, Carter Berger was an utter liability on defense, and he was one of their best players in the offensive zone. It was hilarious how it was going back and forth. I also, I'll, I'll mention a couple defensemen quick. I think both Ryan Wheeler and Harrison Reese, I think that's arguable, it'd be arguably Ben Yukon's best defensive pairing, which is not something I would have predicted. I've never been a huge Ryan Wheeler fan, but I think he's, he made a really big jump from his sophomore to his junior year. I think he might be able to make an argument that he's their best defenseman this season. He's been really good. Harrison Reese, I still continue the joke that he has more goals than both Johnny Evans and Carter Turnbull. He has three. Those guys have two. That's been the way for a little while. So I think those two guys have been really good. But I also think we got to mention first Mark Gatcomb. He's Mm -hmm. been could probably make an argument. He's been their most consistent forward. Torberg's been their best, but he has been invisible for a couple stretches Gatcom is just every single game every single minute he's on the ice he's making an impact he's a really good power forward he's getting assists he's getting goals he's making the easy plays he's making the hard plays he's playing physical he's a 200 foot defenseman I think he leads the team in shots I've just been so impressed by his development the last four years then Yakum Kondalik's been really good since he's been on the team but it just feels like he's taken his game to another level this year. It feels like he's winning every single puck battle behind the net. It seems like he hasn't lost a puck bringing it into the zone. He's just been so, so good. He's just got this way about him that's hard to quantify that I can't imagine where this team would be without Yakum Kondalik. So I think those are two guys where every single time I'm watching him play, I'm just really impressed by what they're doing. Yeah, with Harrison Reese, um, the game against BC, he had the – I thought he was – there was one particular play where I thought he was being a little too cute with the zone breakout, and it actually cost UConn the goal because BC found a way to steal the puck from him, keep offensive zone pressure, and then eventually scored on that. But it seemed like he really bounced back um, after that play. I don't know if you noticed it. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but, yeah, I, I'd imagine – I mean, I remember his freshman year. I thought he was a complete mess on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. I really didn't see what the coaching staff saw in him. I thought he, I remember one goal vividly from his freshman year. Wow. That's three years ago now. (laughs) That's crazy. I don't remember who was, it was against, but he's kind of coming across to hit a guy coming in on goal. And he just like hits the guy and the guy doesn't move and he gets a stick on the puck and scores. And I was just like, dude, what are you doing? You gotta disrupt him to not let him score. And I just really thought he made a lot of mistakes. Cab mentioned after the main series this past year that Reese was the one that made the turnover that led to Maine's game-winning goal in overtime two years ago. So he's also come a long way. I think he's probably UConn's best all-around defenseman where he's adding a lot on the offensive end, but he's also really solid defensively where I feel like Carter Berger, he's definitely more of an offensive guy than a defensive guy, which is fine. And Roman Canal, he's definitely more of a defensive guy than an offensive guy, even though they're all players who can mix in a little bit of both. I think it's just, if we're looking at the split and the breakdown, I think it's more even with Reese where he's not your best defenseman on defense. He's not your best offensive defenseman, 
but when you combine the two, he's probably the best mix of them. Yeah. And I think with, with Roman Canal, I, I was just reading about this. Apparently he missed all of his sophomore year due to a blood clot, but it was cool to see like how he bounced back from that his junior year, but then he got hurt again. But it seems like he's finally, he's starting, starting to find his game a little bit more after playing a lot more. Yeah. I remember when that happened, it was, I think it was in the preseason. No, it wasn't in the preseason. I actually don't remember the timeline. That was right around when I started meeting with Cav once a week. So it was, yeah, I think I was asking, like, you've been short one defenseman, like every single game. Canal hasn't played. Why is that? And Cav was like, oh, yeah, he had a blood clot. It was very serious blood clot. He's lucky he can still play hockey. I think he's even lucky, I think, a little bit to be alive. It was that bad. I think they needed to remove a rib. It was a really serious situation. So it's great to see him come back. Obviously, yeah, last year got injured because I thought he was playing really well last year too. So it, he's just been one of the great stories on this team. And Cav has talked about a lot too when we've asked him about Roman that when he came to UConn, his grades were really bad and he wasn't adjusting well to college. And now he's got one of the highest GPAs on the team and he's a team leader. And he's just really matured and developed a ton as a person as much as a hockey player. And that's something that Cav really takes pride in with the program. So that's been also fun to see. Yeah, no, and then offensively, I think um, I think I, I know I think I think Carter Turbinal has been playing well this year. I know he hasn't been scoring a lot, but I feel like he's been creating a lot of chances, and it's going to come from him at some point. I don't know if you agree with me on that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think he's really good at getting the puck on the net. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the forwards and yeah, mostly the forwards that aren't taking advantage of that a ton. I don't think UConn's been great with their net front play. There's been too many times where Cav said, we need to get better in front of the net. We need to get more greasy goals. And it feels like it's cropped up a couple times. So yeah, I think he's just so fast and so quick and he almost feels like he has the skill set of a forward, but he's playing defenseman. Yeah. So yeah, I would agree. I think he's just really solid on the offensive end and he does create a lot, even if that's not necessarily showing up in the numbers. Yeah, I think him and Kevin O'Neill have been playing well together. I think that Dartmouth game, that, that was probably the best line, him and O'Neill. And O'Neill's been one of my favorite newcomers this year. He reminds me a lot of, of Brian Regali, the former number 19, kind of like a gritty bottom six forward. And it's I think him and Carter Turnbull have worked well this year. So i kind of interested to see how the lineups work on once they get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I said before the season, I thought Kevin O'Neill was just going to be a really good player for this team. And I think that's come true. I don't know what his numbers are, but I know they're not all that spectacular, but mm-hmm. he's just one of those guys where you look and they're a better team with Kevin O'Neill on the ice, regardless of if he's producing or not. And you need those guys in the lineup. Not everyone's going to score 10 goals and 20 assists. Not everyone's going to be a 15 point player. I think you just need the glue guys in there. And like you said, Brian Regali, I think he was a perfect example of that. He was just, he made UConn a better team with him on the ice. I think Carter Turnbull is kind of developing himself into that, even though I think he has more offensive potential than what we've seen this year and in the second half of last year. And I feel like a lot of the guys on the team are like that. It's a very interesting group of forwards where there's so many different types of talent and so many different types of forwards, but they all contribute in one way or another for the most part. There's a couple guys that'll just completely disappear and fall off the face of the earth for a bit. But yeah, I've really, really liked Kevin O'Neill's game. We were at the topping off ceremony on Friday and there were, I think six guys from the team and I recognized all of them except one. You had to ask like, who's that guy in the end? They said, it's Kevin O'Neill. It's like, Oh, I, 
genuinely don't think yeah. I ever would have known what he looked like. I don't think I've seen a photo of him without, without his, his helmet, helmet on. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that forward group's interesting. And I like what Cass said at the beginning of the year, they have flat first off on one line, Carter Turnbull on one line, you know, Hudson Shandor on one line. So I think it's, if it all comes together, I think UConn arguably has one of the best offenses in hockey's. Oh, no doubt. First off, uh, just Hudson. needs to be more consistent. I feel like there's games where I just don't notice him at all. Yeah, first off has so much talent. It's it's the Russians, man. There's they're wired differently. It was the same thing with Ruslan. Ruslan had has the talent to play in the NHL, but he just never could really figure it out for one reason or another. Vlad has the talent. He still hasn't really figured it out for one way or another. Whereas Mark Gacom, Mark Gacom's probably playing pretty close to where his ceiling is from where he started. Mm-hmm. Sasha Payasov is a guy that I can remember that they got everything that they could have out of Sasha Payasov. He was a great college hockey player. Same thing with Carl Elmir. Same thing with Max Calter going through that class. Same thing with like Ben Freeman and Wyatt Newpower. Mm-hmm. We've seen that the staff can develop players. We just haven't seen that they can kind of get some of these guys out of their funk because those first two games of the season, I thought Vlad was their best player oh, yeah. by far. He was unbelievable. I think he had three goals in those games. He mm-hmm. was nuts. And he's just been so quiet since then. So they can pull it out of him. He's going to be such a great player. And one day, Artem Schlein, Artem Schlein is going to figure it out. Oh, yeah, I agree. He's going to get there. I don't know when it's coming. It's brutal. He just can't seem to get it clicked, but he always <laughs> does the little things so well. One day it's going to come, but Hudson Shandor is one of my favorite players to watch. He's just so good at what he does and is was probably one of the more understated parts of last year's recruiting class and has been the best player so far, him and John Spetz. So mm-hmm. it's been a really great pickup for UConn. Now, last thing before we kind of end things off, but what are your thoughts on the goaltending with Hanson? I know you said his stats have been better than he's kind of shown. And do you think they're going to play another goalie this season or is it going to be rolling with Hanson? Because I've been told that Logan Turnus has been playing really well in practice. (laughs) I had to ask Cav about this on Friday. I was like, Cav, is it Hanson is just playing really well? Or has Turnus not been what you expected? Because they were really, really high on Turnus when they yeah. start when they got him, and he hasn't played. I think T- Turnus hurting his ankle played a factor. I think Hansen's just been pretty solid. This is the analogy that I had for Darian Hansen. I don't know how much of a baseball fan you have you are, but there's always that one guy in your bullpen that you never feel good about when he's coming into the game, but every single time he comes in, he delivers for you. And it's like okay. God, the, they're warming up Hansel Robles. It's a two-run game in the in the eighth. Like, we need to win this game. Why are we bringing in Robles? Robles comes in and he gets three outs, and they hand it over to the closer, and it's like, okay, well, it worked out this time. And yeah. then every single time, then he somehow puts together a 15-game scoreless streak. Feels like it's the same thing with Hansen, where I don't know how much confidence I have in him, but at the same time, with a goalie more so than anything else, if the numbers are there, the numbers are there. I mean, he has a... Two, three, five goals against average, I believe. His save percentage, I want to say, is like nine, three something, if I'm not mistaken. Or is it higher? No, I think it's like nine, three something. I, I just wrote it down earlier. So he's been, he's kept UConn, I thought, in every single game except the Providence game. I actually thought he was phenomenal against BC and really didn't get 
he deserved a win in that game. And I thought it was more on the offense and the special teams as the reason that they didn't win that. It was definitely not Hanson's fault. I think he's perfectly fine. I don't know if he's going to win you a game single-handedly, but that's also a lot to ask out of a goaltender. He's not a Devin Levi. He's not a Spencer Knight from BC last year, but he's still an above average goaltender. And I think that's still pretty good to have. I believe another goaltender is going to play at some point. I think it's going to be Turnus. I don't really know when, but I just don't think he's going to have the total monopoly this year. I think they got to give Turnus some minutes somewhere. And especially if they're going to have some compact schedules later in the year where they're playing three, four games in a week, you got to give Hanson some rest at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, the goalie thing, it's obviously moving on from Vomashka was going to be kind of interesting because Vomashka single-handedly won UConn some games last year. I think there was one game against UNH where he was just outstanding if my memory Mm -hmm. serves me correctly. So, um, and I was, I was interested to see how the goalies were going to do because a lot of them haven't played in, like, years. And I think Hansen's played fine. Like I said, there's been some performances where I think he could have played better. I remember that game against Maine where he just stood there and the guy shot it from the faceoff. Like, I didn't even realize it when I was like, wait, what? Like, that was a goal. And it was, there's moments where I'm like, yeah, it needs to be better. But he also hasn't done anything where I'm like, he shouldn't be the starter anymore. Because Owen Savory has been one of the best goalies in hockey East for UML, and I thought Hanson outplayed him in the series that they played against UMass Lowell. Yeah, I didn't even see that goal against Maine because I was trying to grab something at the concession stand, and I had paid, and I was walking out, and I'm like, okay, I'll miss like a minute of the period. It's no big deal. All of a sudden, the crowd went nuts, and the goal horn sounded, and it's like, and I looked, and there was like three seconds off or seven seconds off, and I was like, <laughs> what just happened? And I ran up to the press box and I looked at Bill and I was like, what just happened? And he went, I don't even know. I wasn't even looking. (laughs) So yeah, that one was crazy. I think I've said this before, but with Vomashka, I always felt like he was better than his numbers said that he was with. So I almost feel like it's the opposite where Hanson maybe isn't as good as his numbers say he is because I think he's right around the best save percentage in program history. And I don't think he's been the best goalie, but like you said, Mm -hmm. he hasn't, really cost any games at UConn, any games, not like Adam Huska, his junior year. I mean, Adam Huska was brutal that year. So he's probably been pretty much as good as advertised, a very solid goaltender, not going to win you games, not going to lose you games. Honestly, that might be better than someone that is going to win you games, but will also lose you games like Adam Huska, his junior year. Yeah, well, I remember with Hushka, like, we're talking about that team. Tanner Creel stole his job for that run. I don't know if you remember that, but he would play outstanding. And then Vomashka kind of stole his job his freshman year. So it's kind of crazy to see Hushka never really got the opportunity to be the starter. And now he's in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess he got the last laugh there. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, But, no, with the goaltending situation, it's going to be interesting, especially because next year, I'm assuming Hansen's not going to come back since it's grad year. They're going to have, like, four goalies. he has have- an extra year. Yeah, so they're going to have, like, four goalies that haven't played, but I know they're getting this guy named Arseny Sergev, who I heard has been killing it in the USHL. So him and Turnus might be the new goaltending pair for next year. And maybe Ryan Keane can play as well. I'm not sure how that's going to work. Yeah, apparently Ryan Keane was the backup last year. It was never something that I needed to ask Cav about. Yeah, It's one of those things where everything was on Zoom. Sometimes I'll just sit in Cav's office and pick his brain about random things just to get an idea. I just never ended up asking him about Ryan Keane, but I asked him this year, even though I knew he was going to be out with the labrum surgery. Like, where's Ryan Keane this development? I'm curious. And he said that Ryan was the backup last year. He He was having a really good year and obviously got hurt 
they also didn't have Pasquale last year because he had the labrum surgery. Mm-hmm. But I still think that just goes to show where he is in his development. But I'd be surprised if next year it's not Turnus or Sergeev. I think Sergeev sounds like he's a really good prospect. I would probably guess it's going to be more Turnus than Sergeev just because yeah. Turnus is going to have the experience. You'd imagine by next year he has a game or two under his belt. Like they're playing AIC on a Tuesday and then, I don't know, UNH on a Friday and Saturday. Might as well throw him in net for that AIC game. Give him a yeah. shot. It's a non-conference game. If you lose it, it's really no big deal because AIC is good. I think you got to give him minutes at some point. Just get his feet wet a little bit, even if it's only one or two games. Now, final question to you is, what are your thoughts on Hockey East as a whole, and who do you have winning the championship, from my opinion? I think it's the UMasses, UMass, Lowell, and Amherst, I feel like have been the best teams in Hockey East this year. I've been very disappointed with BC and BU. And I think Northeastern is starting to turn a page, so I think they might be in it. But I also throw UConn in there. I think it's going to be one of those four teams that are going to contend for a title. Yeah, I haven't seen UMass play. UMass Lowell is just a pain in the ass to play regardless of who they have on their team. And it's not very entertaining hockey, but it's effective. And mm-hmm. that's why they were able to make a run last year. So I'm never going to be counting UMass Lowell out. I think I think it's probably UMass's to lose. But I also think Providence has been really good, really consistent. I'm they're a team that I think I'd be afraid to play, especially because UConn just historically has had a lot of trouble with Providence. I agree. BC and BU have both been really underwhelming. I'm not that surprised by the way BC's dropped just because last year mm-hmm. I didn't think pound for pound, they were the best team in hockey. So they just had Spencer Knight, which made them the best team in hockey. So I thought BU was a better team or, or UMass. I mean, they yeah. did win the national championship. Yeah. Pretty good team. So, Right. So this year with BC, I feel like it's kind of the same team where they're not all that good, but they don't have Spencer Knight to bail them out. I think it's probably, and Northeastern, I don't have a good grip on because I think that loss to UConn is kind of what kickstarted this run that oh, they've been on. The, their coaches post game after the game. Oh, I was in the team. I was sitting front row for that post game yeah. press conference and I thought he was going to break the table. I was <laughs> terrified. He yeah. was like, he had this like, thousand yard stare burning a hole in the side of the room like he didn't make eye contact with anyone he was just sitting staring off extremely angry yeah that was a terrifying press conference to be in i was scared (laughs) so i think they really turned around after that it's just such a deep conference this year because you have all the guys that are playing on their fifth year Mm -hmm. and I think that's made a lot of teams really deep. There's been a lot of transfers coming into the conference. I think it's going to be a fight for the top six spot or the top five spots for the six teams, UConn, UMass, UMass, Lowell, Providence, Northeastern, or is that five teams? I think those five teams are going to be Mm -hmm. battling for the first round by for UConn. I would just say, stay out of that four or five game. That's the one that you don't want to be in. Get that three seed. I think that's a very realistic goal for them play BU in the first round, win a playoff game. I think this, it's just tough because with how balanced hockey East is, their pairwise numbers really aren't that great. So it feels like it's a really deep conference, but that's not really showing up all that well either. And also Merrimack, I forgot Merrimack. Merrimack, I don't think they're going to be contending, but they're Mm -hmm. a sneaky team that I thought they might be a sneaky team at the beginning of the year. That's not someone that you want to face, especially in the postseason or with points on the line. Yeah, I want to face UNH. UConn always owns UNH. That's my like ideal first round matchup. But Providence, definitely not Providence or um, 
one of those uh, UMass Lowell, UMass teams. I think if UMass Lowell finishes fourth and UConn finishes like fifth, I'll be like, oh no, like this oh, is they're toast. They're but like the thing with Cav is he needs to win a playoff game. Oh, I don't so think badly. he's he hasn't won a hockey's playoff game since I think he's been the coach, and I think that's gonna be. As the years go on, that's going to be like in the back of everyone's heads. Like you still haven't won, you still haven't won, and I think he needs that monkey off his back. Oh, they're currently at that point, one hundred percent. Last year, if they put up a better performance against Providence last year, I would feel better about it. But the fact that they got beat so badly on their home ice, especially mm-hmm. after just kicking the crap out of the exact same Providence team, mm-hmm. that one was really bad. The other ones, I feel like there's always kind of a qualifier that comes with it like the bu team like you said they went on and won hockey east so yeah maybe you could have gotten a win there and they they were just clearly the inferior team in all the years before that with the rosters that they had yeah they got a win one it was i i was at the coaches show for cav the first one that they had way back in october and i forget exactly how it came about oh because they had never been able to beat Sacred Heart to that point. Mm-hmm. So Cav was walking. I think he was like in between segments and he was uh, standing up and walking. And I said something along the lines of, oh, I think Bob Joyce, this is what it was. Bob Joyce was like, oh, Dan, uh, do you want to come on while Cav can eat? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and Cav was like, oh, well, don't be too harsh on me. And I'm like, well, if you lose to Sacred Heart, oh, no, no, I said, well, if you lose to uh, another playoff game in the first round, I, I don't know how much I could say. And he goes, rolls his eyes and he goes, can we just not talk about the playoffs until we get there? And I'm like, okay, fine. If you don't beat Sacred Heart, then like whatever. And he goes, yeah, okay, that one's fair. I'm fine with that. Just can we not talk about the playoffs until yeah. we get to the playoffs? And he had a quote with me where, I know I need to win a playoff game. It's not like I'm fine losing every week or every year in the playoffs first round. I know we need to win one. We're getting there. I believe we're going to do it. So I I like this way that he put it. Two years ago, they went into the final weekend needing to beat UMass Lowell to get home ice. They lost that game, ended up as the fifth seed, had to travel up to Maine for the series that never happened. Last year, they go into their final game of the season needing to win to get home ice. They beat the crap out of Providence. So if you follow that progression, if it continues on, they're going to get into the first round playoff game, having lost the year before, and they're going to finally win it. And I really feel strongly that when they finally get the playoff monkey off their back, they're going to go on a run. I don't know if that means it's going to end in a title, but I think they're going to go on a run after that. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And that's kind of the way I want to end it off. But I'm trying to think they, this, their second half, this is not going to be an easy schedule. They play Harvard who, they're loaded with offense and their best player isn't going to play in that game. But like Matt Coronado, I'm pretty sure he made the world juniors, but they still have a lot of talent. Alex Laferriere. Um, they have a lot of draft picks. So that should be a fun game. And Ryan Torberg was supposed to go to Harvard and mm-hmm. it's going to be kind of funny to see him play against the team he would have played for if COVID never happened, but no. And then they play a UMass defending national championship winner. They play uh Northeastern as well. And then they're going to, they might have to play Quinnipiac, which they're arguably the best team in the country right now. So they have some tough games coming up, but I think if they can get to the second half, I think they will set themselves up to win a hockey's championship. Because my goal as a fan is I want to see a hockey's championship. I'm not really thinking about the national tournament as of yet. I think I'm the other way. I don't – I mean, not that I don't care. I think that would be a huge accomplishment if UConn did do it. But more on the national stage and what it means, I feel like getting to an NCAA tournament would be more impactful – 
not them winning a hockey championship because those two things go together, but I think it would be better to see them get to a NCAA tournament than to get to like the hockey's championship and lose. I think it would just be a huge boost for this program. They're one of, I think it's three programs that have never been to the NCAA tournament. I think only like five haven't been since 1998 when UConn joined division one. So and two of them that would like be really brand good. new, like St. Thomas right. and LIU. Yeah. So that would be just, I think a really huge accomplishment, not just for this team, but for this program. And then once you get to the NCAA tournament, you need to win two games to get to the frozen four and the frozen fours in Boston. So oh, yeah, I'll be there. I think, Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I think it's, you got to win at least one playoff game and go from there, but I'd, I really strongly feel like this needs to be an NCAA tournament team and you're going to have plenty of chances to build that resume across the second half. Oh yeah. I totally agree with you on that. How's the new rink? That's the, it's coming along. It's, it, a, it's my one complaint about it is it seems small and I don't, I wish they played more games on campus than in Hartford. Cause I think that would build a better student atmosphere. Yeah, so with the capacity, my take is that I'm not going to have an opinion on it until we've had two or three years of games there to see really what type of crowds they're getting because they're consistently at 2,000 every single night for three years, then yeah, I, I think you probably built the right size arena. If every single game is sold out, even when you're playing RIT on a Tuesday night in October, yeah, you probably made some mistakes. So I think. The first year, you're going to have a lot of buzz with it. I think you're going to be getting a lot of fans regardless that year, so I don't want to judge it off the first year. You know, the second year, they might not have a very good team. I don't know if that's true. I'm just, mm-hmm. like, hypothetically, you might not have a very good team. The attendance might not be that good. Or, conversely, you might have a really good team, and the attendance is going to be great. So if you have a nice three-year sample size, I think then we'll know if that's the right amount. I do like games in Hartford, though. I think there is value there. I think I'm one of the ones in the minority, I'd like it to be a 50-50 split, mm-hmm. if not more of a two-thirds on campus, one-third in Hartford, if I had to guess. I don't think they've decided yet, so I don't know anything, but I guess it's probably closer to a 50-50 split, probably leaning a little more towards Hartford, just because they could sell more tickets. It's easier for people to get to, all those sorts of things, but... I think it's going to be a great facility regardless. I'm amazed at how fast it's going up. We just had the topping off ceremony. It feels like yesterday we were at the groundbreaking ceremony. So it's starting to look like an actual building. I think we'll see what progress looks like throughout the winter, but I don't think it's going to be long until not only it looks like a bunch of steel frames, but it's going to start looking like a hockey arena. So I'm very excited to see what it looks like this time next year. It could be done. I'm not trusting UConn with any construction timelines, but Mm -hmm. it very well could be done at this time next year. And that is going to be a great night when they play their first game there. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. That should be a fun rink. I can't wait to kind of see like walk around and see what the rinks like. So, well, I look forward to hopefully seeing you at Harvard in a few weeks. That should be fun. I've never been to that rink. So I guess we can judge about it um, at that game, but um, it should be a fun game. It should be a fun second half, but thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You, I've been trying hard to keep my cool. But when you're near, there's nothing that I can do. When you're walking in, I know it's true. I, it doesn't even matter how hard I 